Welcome to Beyond the Silo, grain marketing tips for growers. A short story for you. A ban on palm oil exports from Indonesia has resulted in a jump in canola prices. But that's largely because the war in Ukraine is limiting the supply of sunflower oil. If you're confused, you're not alone. G'day, I'm Drew Radford, and supply issues like this are indicative of the ever-increasing complexity in global grain markets. To make sense of it all, I'm joined in the GPSA studio by Andrew Whitelaw, analyst with Thomas Elder Markets. Andrew, thanks for your time. Thanks, Drew. Thanks for having me. It's always good to have a chat. Andrew, sadly, there's great tragedy unfolding in one of the world's great grain producers, Ukraine. Before we drill down into what that means for markets, how much do they actually contribute to global grain production? When we look at at Ukraine, yeah, we really have to sort of look at that Ukraine-Russia combined. What we're really talking about is about 30% of the world's wheat and barley and about 20% of the world's rapeseed, which is canola, and about 50% of the world's sunflowers go out through that very small Black Sea. And so we are talking considerable volumes of grains. And that's why this invasion of Ukraine has such a huge impact on global supply chains, because we basically were taking some of the largest producers of grain in the world and causing some major disruptions to to their supply chain. It can't be sort of discounted, but it's just such a huge volume of grains and oilseeds. You said you had to take the region in as a whole, and I'm assuming that is encompassing what would be trade embargoes then against the Russian state. So it's sort of locking them out of the markets, is it? Look, it's it's locking them out to some markets. A lot of markets out there are still more than willing to take Russian grain because they have no choice. If you're a, you know, a, a Egypt, a Libya, Algeria, those type of nations, you don't really have much choice. You know, you've got a, a massive populations that rely on bread as their as their main food source. So you aren't going to be too picky and sanctions aren't going to necessarily work because those countries will continue to take them. And there has been, you know, still volumes of grain being exported from Russia and Ukraine, smaller than normal, because, well, the fact of the matter is that if you were to book a vessel to go into those nations through the Black Sea, it's very hard to get insurance to cover you for those vessels. But huge volumes and really... This conflict is having ramifications on, on almost every market that we can think of, inside and outside of the ag industry. Andrew, you paint an unsettling and a very detailed picture of what's going on. How's that affecting prices then? At the end of the day, when it comes to, to farmers in Australia, we don't want to see what we're seeing in Ukraine, but we are seeing large rises in the increase in grain prices around the world. You know, Wheat prices on a global level are record highs, Oil seeds are getting to record highs. Very, very strong prices. But that is basically, when we talk about markets, they're not that complicated. It's supply and demand. If you reduce supply, whether it's through, traditionally it might be through a drought. In this case, it's through a war. When you reduce supply, you end up with higher prices. Conversely, if demand falls, you end up with lower prices. If demand rises, you end up with higher prices. So they are really simple. It's just supply and demand. In this case, we've stripped away a huge proportion of the global grain trade in terms of normal trade flows. Because remember, these are the most important nations in the world in terms of grain. They've been taken off the market, so supply just suddenly vanishes, and so prices follow. 
when we're talking about that price, I'm really talking about a global level. When we look at Australia, we're still finding that Australian prices are, are quite heavily discounted to the rest of the world. But we are still seeing some rises and some benefits flowing through to Australian farmers. Why are they heavily discounted to the rest of the world? There's a number of different sort of theories posited by the trade. We've got a huge crop from last year. Normally, that's what reduces our premium. Typically, we trade a premium to the rest of the world. But what we're seeing is a large crop last year, good prospects for this year, because for large parts of the country, maybe not so much in parts of South Australia, but majority of the country is looking good. Again, it comes to supply and demand. They don't have to pay a premium. And the other one is that um, prices are dictated by logistics as well. And a lot of the logistics supply chain in Australia is completely chock-a-block. And they can't get any more grain out than they've already got booked. So they can't necessarily access the global market. But I would say one point, though, is obviously GPSA is self-Australian based. And what we have seen in the last 12 months is a really strong prices in South Australia versus the rest of the country. And that has been really fantastic that we've sort of seen those really strong prices. And in part, that is due to the fact that South Australia is getting a lot more diversified in terms of its supply chain. With the work going through T-ports and the work going through Adelaide Port on the mobile shiploaders. That's great news for South Australian producers, but not so great in terms of the overall outlook for the nation in terms of what you're saying, the discounting that's going on there. The temptation, though, must be to lock in some forward prices at the moment, eyeing what's going on globally. It really comes down to the grower's individual choice, yeah, an individual risk profile. At this time of the year, we're just coming into May, probably just seeding the crop as we speak. A long way to go until harvest. So you're always going to have that production risk. And there's no point locking in the price, but then basically increasing your production risk because you may have a washout at the end of the year. So there's always that calculation. The other calculation is the fact that when we look at our prices compared to next year, they are still heavily discounted versus the rest of the world. So you may look at looking at futures instead of looking at physical prices in order to lock in the futures component, which is record high. And then locking in the basis or the the difference between us and overseas values at a later date. At the moment, when we look at prices, they are very, very strong. And in terms of if there was ever a time, even with that discount, if there was ever a time to lock in a price forward, then this is probably it. But my sort of advice generally at this time of the year is to be conservative and not be uh, putting the whole house on red, so to speak. Let's turn our attention a little bit closer to Australia, and you probably wouldn't think of Indonesia in terms of its impact on grain production, but there is a tie-in there, and it relates to palm oil. What's going on? And this is one of the interesting things that we, we have got this year, is that so much is happening in such a short period of time. The main concerns that we have is that there's so many interventions by governments at the moment whilst they protect their own domestic food prices, their own markets. And so not last Friday, but the Friday before, Indonesian Prime Minister, or President, sorry, basically banned the exports of cooking oils, including things like crude palm oil, refined palm oil, which, okay, we never think about palm that often as as a farmer in Australia because it's a completely different product. But basically, palm is about 50% of global vegetable oil exports, so huge quantities, 
more important than soybeans, more important than suns, and definitely more important than canola. And Indonesia is about half of that volume. So when we look at that, we're seeing a sort of situation where they've banned the exports of palm in order to protect domestic prices for their own consumers. The problem you've got is that all these supply chains are all inevitably linked. So canola is a vegetable oil. You know, you can use it for frying. If it gets too expensive, you can use palm. If that gets too expensive, you can switch to another product. They're all basically what they call fungible products, and that means that they're replaceable with one another. And that what we're seeing is this really, really congested supply chain where there's so much going on. And to give you a bit of a story about it, yeah, the sort of the banning of palm oil is actually probably directly linked to Putin and the invasion of Russia. How's that? Well, basically what's happened is Ukraine can no longer export sunflower oil. Ukraine is responsible for about 50% of global sunflower exports, which well, the sunflower is part of the, the flag there, so you can tell how important it is there. A lot of that sunflower would go to the likes of Europe, and that sunflower would get used to fry things in a lot of cases. Think about things like potato chips that you know then get frozen and taken to, to all over the world, uh, hash browns, those type of things, yeah? What's happened is, all of a sudden, overnight, a lot of those manufacturers were told, there's no more sun, we're going to switch to palm. So they all switched to palm, which increased the cost of palm. And now what's happening again is that we're, we're finding that, well, palm's coming up to issues, which means that you've suddenly got sunflowers no longer really available in large quantities. You've got palm, at least temporarily, no longer available in large quantities. So you've got all these users of vegetable oils and we're not talking about people frying it at home we're talking about the 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 major manufacturers are now struggling to find vegetable oils in order to replace sun and then replace palm and so it all flows through and causes a bit of a supply chain issue and and look it may cause issues in australia because we import quite a lot of pre-fired products things like hash browns as an example and one of the issues we have in sort of those consumer goods areas is labeling. You can't just say, right, we're going to switch from sunflower to palm without doing analysis, without doing nutritional stuff, without doing labeling. And it's very hard to do that in the, in the course of one month. So we're seeing all over the world supply chains having to turn on a dime really quickly. But it's an interesting one because, look, that one at least temporarily, is helping the overall oilseed complex. But I don't know how long it's going to last because of the fact that it's a bit of a bad idea from the Indonesian government because palm oil is the equivalent of iron ore for us. And so if we were to ban iron ore shipments today, that would have a huge impact upon our trade flows and the amount of revenue coming into the country. And that's exactly the same with palm oil. Palm oil is the number one export commodity in Indonesia. It may be short-lived once, uh, once they start looking at the, uh, the economy. How do then should producers of canola in Australia view that in terms of locking in prices for the coming season? At the moment, like it's, it's basically a flow-on effect. When we talk about canola, yeah, there's Canada produces more than 60% of the world's exportable surplus. And then we come in second place, I think around about 11%, if that. And so what it does is it basically means that it flows through to us. You've got higher prices across the whole oilseed complex, 
and that really does help us flow through to our pricing locally. I still think with canola, you've got to be pretty brave to lock in forward prices six months ahead of harvest because hail, frost, drought, whatever else, if you, you look at canola the wrong way and it wilts and falls over. So there is that risk. Canola in general and the general oilseed market you can only look at it with quite a good amount of positivity and confidence going forward. That's one side of the coin in terms of there is some positivity in terms of potentially some of the pricing based on sadly great upheaval. The flip side is the input costs. They are going up, fuel, fertiliser, chemicals. How much of the concern is this for growers? As an analyst, that's one of our biggest concerns. And it's been one of our biggest concerns since about last September, before even this Putin thing happened supply chain costs and input costs were, were causing a lot of concerns. Again, prices were actually starting to fall for inputs, for fertilizer, for chemicals at the end of last year and into January until Putin invaded and caused them all to go up. One of the things that is, is important to think about in agriculture is really if we simplify agriculture down to its components, yeah, we're actually just converting energy into food. That's all we're really doing, yeah? So the supply chain basically starts with gas and crude oil and works through until you have grain in a bunker somewhere. You know, our fertilizer is produced by converting energy into fertilizer. Our chemicals are likewise the same and obviously the fuel to run our headers and our cedars. And so what we're seeing is really strong energy prices around the world. We've seen that with the diesel price locally, but... Basically, there's a very strong correlation between high energy prices and high fertilizer, high chemical prices. Why is it our biggest concern? Well, the biggest concern for us is a cost price squeeze. You know, it's okay to have high grain prices when inputs are low, but when, when the grain price increases but inputs are cr- increasing as well, well, then it adds a bit of risk onto the table in terms of, well, your margin starts to get squeezed. Sometimes it might be better to have lower grain prices with lower input prices if the margin's going to be higher. And I think that's the main risk that we see going forward is the next couple of years is probably going to be volatile. We're going to see upswings and downswings as we return to, to normality. Because remember, largely we've talked about Putin and invasion of Ukraine. We haven't talked about COVID, which we, we spoke a lot about last year. That is still a major driver of change in the marketplace. We're already seeing at the moment supply chains are in disruption because of what's happening in China with their continued lockdowns. So we are going to see continued volatility. And this year, touch wood, fingers crossed, the moisture levels are pretty good around the country. The question is, what happens next year? What happens if we if we have low moisture levels at this time of year? Would we, we still be as positive about putting forward you know, $1,500 a ton urea and MAP, you know, glyphosate at $12 a litre, diesel at $180. Uh, would we be as keen to plant a crop into dry conditions? And so that is the big concern is, you know, we should be okay this year because the cost of inputs should be absorbed by production, so yield and price, fingers crossed, touch wood again. But the reality is that we could have years where the meteorological conditions don't stack up when inputs are so high. So, so it really is a big concern and it's something that is shared around the world. As always, a fabulous insight speaking to you about what's occurring with global markets. 
Andrew Whitelaw, analyst with Thomas Elder Markets. Thank you for taking the time and sharing your insights with us in the GPSA studio today. No worries, Drew. Anytime. Always happy to have a have a yarn about markets. It's our it's our lifeblood, I guess. So it's easy. The information presented in this podcast is general in nature only and does not constitute legal, financial or investment advice. Listeners should seek professional advice relevant to their individual circumstances before making any decisions. While every effort has been made to ensure the information in this podcast is correct at the time of publication, we do not warrant, guarantee or accept any liability arising from its accuracy, reliability or completeness.